On today's podcast, I had Jess Spreet sing on from the Minority Mindset, and we talked about what is going on with the economy and how this inflation is going to play out and how you can protect yourself. On top of that, we go over his background as an attorney and uh, what it was like going through law school to only quit his very first day and go full-time as an entrepreneur. It is a really amazing episode. Now, let's jump into it. Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? My company, Future Flipper, can help. We've taught hundreds of people all over the country how to flip, wholesale, and buy rental properties. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your investing journey. Whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your company, Future Flipper can help. We have courses, coaching, and events for all levels of investors. So if you want to take the next step, go to futureflipper.com and book a free consultation to see how we can best help you. Once again, that's futureflipper.com. If you've ever wanted to invest with me on my real estate deals, it's now possible. At Pineda Capital, we're purchasing value-add real estate all across the country. This includes multifamily, commercial, and land development. The best part is, with my network, social media presence, and marketing strategies, we're able to get the very best deals that others don't have access to. You can join in with me on those deals if you're an accredited investor. If you want to learn more, head over to PinedaCapital.com to see our current opportunities. Once again, that's PinedaCapital.com. Welcome to The Ryan Pineda Show. Where our mission is to invest. I only expect to make money in things that I understand. Innovate. It's about believing in the future and thinking that the future will be better than the past. And inspire. I am much more likely to hit my goal just due to putting it out there. You're now rocking with the best. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Ryan Pineda Show. Today... I've got a very big YouTuber in the financial, the side hustle, the make money space. <laughs> this guy has quit his job as an attorney to become a full-time YouTuber, and it has played out very well for him, not only in his channel and everything he's doing, but also in creating other businesses behind the channel. We've got none other than Jasper Singh from Minority Mindset. What's up, dude? What's up, Ryan? How you doing, man? I'm a, I never actually worked as an attorney. I became an attorney, and I quit the first day i never worked as an attorney i started my own i was working on my own business so went through law school but i never worked as an attorney what like made you quit the first day like how do you go through law school all that time to just like <laughs> you're like dude i'm i'm going to be an attorney i'm going to go work for these guys and then you do it and then you're like yeah well, I, I never wanted to be an attorney. I, oh. I, I, uh, I grew up in a traditional Indian house. We were just talking about this. So my parents are from a state in India called Punjab. My dad came to this country with very little, less than 100 bucks, bust his butt, and then he said, okay, you have two options to me when I was really young. He said, okay. either you can become a doctor or you can become a failure. <laughs> <laughs> you pick. So I didn't become a doctor. I, I went down the pre-med route, um, but then I started investing in real estate, doing other things when I was in college. So the uh, medical route didn't work. So he was like, if you want to keep any pride in the family, you got to go and become an attorney. And I was like, well, I don't really know what I'm going to do in my life. This is towards the end of my college career. I was doing some other businesses that I was shutting down. So I was like, well, that's not going to work. So, okay, I'll go to law school. But the advantage of law school is I know you, can, uh, you need law for business. And I know you can do law school part-time, which meant I could do business full-time. So I was in law school studying but I was also doing other things. I was running other businesses, doing other things. So I graduated and I was like, I'm definitely not working as an attorney. <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah. you were just doing it to please your dad. I was doing it to please my parents, yeah. yeah. It, it, there was, uh, that was the reason why I went to law school. I gave them the degree and 
I, I, I don't work as an attorney. I invest in um, legal startups. Oh, because you understand it. I understand it. And I understand, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, right? So I understand that there needs to be innovation. The legal field is very fat. I mean, you got some of these law firms, people will charge you seven, eight hundred bucks an hour. But the attorney that's doing your work is going to get like a tiny, teeny little fraction of that because you have so many layers of fat in there. Yeah. So it's like this is right for disruption. So I'm investing in some of those companies, but I'm not working as an attorney. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, LegalZoom, just how kinda they like made everything yeah. so cheap to do that exactly. used to cost a lot. Yeah, yeah. So the company I'm invested in is called UpCounsel, and and it's just uh, kind of like Upwork actually. So okay. it's up where you can invest and you know, work with attorneys, and you don't got to worry about paying those high fees, and the attorney's going to make more money because they're not under another attorney exactly. taking everything. Exactly. So yeah, I, I never worked as an attorney, but now here I am on YouTube, not a doctor, not an, uh, working as an attorney. Yeah, just talking about making some money. T- talking about making money, managing money, investing your money, building wealth because we're never taught about this stuff in school. No. Never not taught at all. about this in school. Yeah, no, not at all. So, tell me this like, you know, I came from an Asian household. My dad uh, was born in the Philippines and I I just see this all I the time it. with Middle Eastern parents and with Asian parents like What's the whole deal with just getting a respectable career, man? Uh, I, you know, it, it, you come to this country with very little. And I think the first thing is they want stability where, you know, doctors are known for having a, a stable income, a big salary. And so it's, it's less risk. But then the second thing is, you know, in, I think in the traditional Indian culture itself, the status, your, your, where you come from, your name, your title is very important. And that is a big kind of factor in the way people perceive you in the culture. And in, in, I can speak for India because that's where my family is from. It's huge there. And, you know, you, you've probably heard about the caste system. Yeah. It's not there, but it's there. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, it, it, it is there. Like, if you have a certain last name, people will not talk to you. You can't walk down the same street as certain people who have a different, like, if, if you are of a very low caste, some of these people in certain villages are, like, clapping their hands when they walk down the street so nobody walks near them. It's horrible. Wow. It's horrible. And, you know, and so there's a lot of this kind of, you need to look at someone's status. Now, in my religion, the Sikh religion, it's really important to eliminate that caste system, but the status culture is still there. Right. And, you know, I, I used to work in the wedding business, Indian wedding business. I started when I was in middle school, actually. But really in high school, I got really into it. I played a drum called the dole at weddings. And the entertainment people are considered lower class in the traditional Indian culture. So I would go to work at some of these weddings and man, people would look at you differently. Some, some people. Mm. And um, I remember one event... We were getting ready to play. It was me and a couple other guys. We had the drum ready, and there was an older guy there who wouldn't even speak to us because he's like, these guys must be so low class that I it's not worth my words. So <laughs> what he did was he, he had a bag of coins, pennies, nickels, and he took this uh, bag of coins. He opened it up, put his hand in there, and started throwing it at our faces, wow. saying, start playing. Wow. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. And, you know, it's like that status is is deep in the culture and it's all crap and that's what was one of those things where it's like you know i hate it i don't like it at all yeah and so i wanted to break away from that right and so for me it's like i really didn't care yeah i I wanted to do it to make my parents happy i wanted to uh do that for them because i love them but i also didn't know what i was doing but now it's like breaking away from that where guess what you can be a lot more successful without that title behind it you know what i mean right you can make more money have more freedom have more wealth and 
and do a lot of other things and you know find love because in the Indian culture if you're not a doctor you're never going to be able to get married <laughs> well, I got married earlier this year and I'm not a doctor so you did you know. it dude <laughs> <laughs> I know I know somebody it's, was willing to accept you yeah seriously so <laughs> I feel bad for her but shout out to your wife exactly for, shout for, out to her for showing you some uh, pity <laughs> <laughs> well dude like what do your what do your parents think now at this point now they love it okay. and I'll tell you when it changed because I was working on um, a different company it was a sock company and when I was going through college, running my different businesses, my parents didn't know about it because I had to do it all in secret. Uh, because if they found out that I was doing something that wasn't medical related, they'd be very angry. Right. So I had my, I, I was living two lives. I was like the entrepreneur Jaspreet and then the academic Jaspreet. <laughs> the academic Jaspreet was the one that my family knew, the one that was studying hard in school trying to become a doctor. The entrepreneur Jaspreet was the one that was doing all these crazy things, working at weddings. I started an event planning company when I was in college, uh, investing in real estate, doing all that. So I started an uh, e-commerce company, a sock company, and uh, I we were starting to see some success, and the local news picked it up and did a story. And uh, my parents get a call from one of their friends saying, I just saw your son on the news. So my yeah. parents were like, oh, my God, what did he do now? I didn't know. <laughs> and then they were like, no, no, no. Uh, he, he has this business that's doing really good. He's getting a lot of sales. And they were like, oh, really? And like that, that was the min- moment where they were like, wait, this could actually become something. He's actually doing something worthwhile. He's actually seeing some success. And that was when they started to understand and appreciate it. And now they love it, man. Like now they're like one of my biggest fans, one of my biggest supporters. And it's it's funny how it all came full circle, but it, it was a lot of crap, a lot of hardship in the beginning trying to go through that because it was like, how are you going to throw away all the sacrifice that I made coming to this country right. with nothing? And now you're going to just go and be some entrepreneur yeah you're just playing the drum just exactly. you know like that's not a job yeah just doing dumb things but yeah. it's like those were the things that i i because i don't have any formal business experience i didn't go to business school i don't know any real estate investors i don't know entrepreneurs so what, for me what made you want to be an entrepreneur like for me i'll tell you my journey i didn't know i was an entrepreneur right like yeah. i was just i want to be an athlete i'll play baseball and yeah. like i have to do entrepreneurial things on the side because I can't get a job. Like baseball <laughs> is my job. Yeah. But it, it became evident to me later on when I started creating more companies and yeah. hiring and realizing like, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. Like what for you happened? Well, I didn't know what the word entrepreneurship was until I went to college. And this might sound really dumb, but I was like really in the bubble. I didn't know that you can make real money without a degree. I thought that was illegal <laughs> until I started doing it um, in college. And... So I didn't know that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I just know that I liked this idea of creating things. So like when I was a little kid, I was mowing my neighbor's lawns because it was I, I liked the idea of like doing something and, and getting paid and kind of doing it myself. And then I was working in the wedding business, playing this drum in high school. And I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm, I'm kind of, I've created something. I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was making some money. Yeah. Then I got to meet some of the DJs that I was uh, working at these weddings with. The DJ said, hey, you know, why don't we start hosting teen parties yeah. in high school, uh, to your high school? I was like, okay. So now here I am, a junior in high school, and I was hosting teen parties. And I was like, this is fun. Like, this is cool. Like, I like the I- idea of creating stuff. And and then I go to college, and I don't know what to expect in college. I thought everybody goes to college to study, and they'd be spending their Friday nights studying in the library or the chemistry lab. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know, right? So I go to college, and then I see all these people blowing their money and they don't even have any money in the first place. So I was like, what the heck is going on? 
And that's when I was like, all right, you know what? How about I take this teen party business to college? And I start hosting parties. So I started knocking on doors of the clubs, venues, bars, restaurants, everything. I don't drink. I don't even party. But I was like, <laughs> let me start hosting these parties, right? This is the minority mindset kicking in. And, uh, you know, I started building a business around this. And I was like, this is kind of fun. I like this idea of like creating something. I like the idea of being my own boss. I like the idea of being in control. And then I started doing this kind of research on my own. So I started reading books about money and I, now my mind is like completely opening up because I didn't really know any careers outside of medicine. I didn't know what entrepreneurship was, but I'm reading these money books and I'm starting to make money. And I was like, this is so weird. Like I never saw this before. So now I'm like studying to become a doctor while doing this. And I started looking at like the Forbes richest people list. You see like Bill Gates and you have Warren Buffett and you have, uh, I don't know if Mark Zuckerberg was there, but you have all these people who did these things. And I was like, none of them are doctors. No, None of them got to where they are because they worked really hard at their job. None of them, you know, just excelled in their career. All of them built something. All of them created something. And that's when I was like, sorry, I just kept asking these questions. I was like, what is it that I want to do? I know I want to become successful because I wanted to give back to my parents. I wanted to take care of my parents. I wanted to take care of my family. I wanted to give my family the things that they never had. But I just didn't know how to do it. For for me then, it was by becoming a doctor because that's all I knew. But that's when I started having this, you can see this like this war that was going on because now I'm like, wait, if I go and become a doctor, how do I maximize my revenue? The way I maximize my revenue is by seeing a whole bunch of patients. If I'm seeing as many patients as possible, now my patients aren't getting the best value from me, right? Because I'm just trying to churn out patients. That's not doing yeah. good duty to the patients. That's not what I want to do as a doctor because if I'm a doctor, I want to provide the best care. So now I'm like, nor is, it, nor is it scalable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and so it's like, it's not making sense. And and, and that's, so now I'm like learning and like these things weren't adding up. So that's when like entrepreneurship presented itself as like the opportunity where I can provide value. I can solve a problem. The more problems that I solve because I was, I can do something scalable, the more I can make. But it wasn't really for the purpose of making money. It was more of like, I like building things. I like creating things. I like innovating. I like solving problems. Right. And it's like, it's, it's just more me. I enjoy doing that. So that's what kind of drove me into the whole entrepreneurship route is just because nothing else made sense. Yeah. I, I nothing else made sense. It's something that I, I would enjoy doing. Yeah. No, I'm totally with you, man. For me, kind of the same thing of that, you know, as I was playing baseball, um, I realized like, man, okay, baseball can make me a lot of money if, yeah. you know, I end up making it to the fullest potential, right? But at the end of the day, if I don't, what am I going to do? Yeah. And so I started thinking about backup plans. And I remember I went to school to be a firefighter. So I, I went to EMT school, passed like you, just like, a, not quite law school, but I passed EMT. And, That's still uh, not easy. It wasn't easy. And uh, I passed it. And after I got my uh, EMT basic certificate, I was like, yeah. yeah, you know what? Not for me. So <laughs> I, I didn't even apply to do it or anything. Because yeah. I just realized, like, going through school that, yeah. dude, this this sucks. And... You know, I got my degree in economics, and I remember. Oh man, I I struggled in that class. <laughs> Believe it or not, like I talk about economics all the time. Yeah, I was sleeping through my economics class. I took one of them because I was like, uh, "Oh, what if I go to business school?" And you needed two economics classes. Yep, micro and macro. Yeah, I took the first one, and I got a C plus. So I was like, "I'm not gonna get into business school." So I I failed. I, mean, I stopped <laughs> right after that because I was sleeping through all the classes. Man, the teacher was so boring. Well, you know what's funny is when I got in economics, I was you know a freshman. I was 18 years old, and I honestly did not know what economics was. Like, I was a jock. I was just like, dude, I'm here to play baseball. Yeah. 
and uh, I passed. I got an A. Nice. And they were like, hey, not many people get A's in economics. You should be an economics major. And I go, what's that? Like, what? what's the job for an economics major? Uh-huh. And they couldn't even explain it. They were just like, well, you know, you study theory and <laughs> oh my God. you can go work at, you know, big businesses. I'm like, but what? What is my skill? Like, You're gonna look at a chart, supply and demand. Yeah. Which way is it going? Yep. And so, <laughs> you know, I got the degree, but when it came time to actually use it, when I was done with college, I remember after baseball, the first time I got released, uh-huh. I applied at a bunch of jobs. Okay. I applied to work at. Um, no, I don't know if I ever told this story. I applied to work at Allegiant Airlines, which is here in Vegas. I applied to work at a couple other places. And literally, nobody even called me for an interview. Really? And I had an economics degree. I had a pro baseball background. I was like, wow. You're like the perfect candidate for an employee, man. I would think that, but nobody called me back. And, you know, for me... I Looking back at it, it's obvious that it was just God's way of pushing me towards entrepreneurship. But, like, it just made me realize, too, that, man, uh, I can't really depend on anyone else to try and do this. And so that led me down the path of entrepreneurship and, you know side hustles and flipping couches and like doing all this stuff because I was like, wait a minute, I'm making more doing this than I would have made at that job. It's when things don't add up. Yeah. And and that's what, you know, for me, that, that trigger kept happening when, when I started realizing that things don't add up. And, you know, I, I was, I was talking about all these things that didn't make sense to me. You know what the number one biggest liability for young people is millennials. It's student loans. Right. right. I mean, you're going into so much deep debt to get your education to go out and get a job. But what's crazy is, you know, the government keeps talking about how there's a student loan crisis. Mm-hmm. Student loan is a big concern. They want to take care of kids, uh, students, because of the student loan problem. But the number one asset for the United States government is student loans. <laughs> and I was like, wait, th- this doesn't make any sense. So I went and looked this up. And you can, you can look this up because this is going to sound like I'm some crazy conspiracy theorist, but it's reality. The number one liability for young people are student loans. This is the thing that's keeping so many people broke. I mean, you can just read any article. Millennials are not buying homes because of student loans. Millennials cannot afford living because of student loans. But the United States government is making so much money from student loans that these student loans are funding their operations. And it's like, holy crap. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. Then I start digging a little bit deeper into the system. Okay, what am I doing when I go and work? Well, I'm working to get what? Dollars. I want to get paid, right? Right. But, but what is a dollar? And, and, th- and that's the second question that I started asking because our dollars are what? They're just pieces of paper. It's yeah. not backed by gold. It's not backed by silver. It's not backed by anything yeah. tangible. It's just paper. So what happens now if somebody loses faith in the dollar? The world loses faith in the U.S. dollar. United States government is no longer the world's reserve currency. The United States is no longer the world's superpower. The United States is no longer the world's strongest military. The United States is no longer the world's strongest economy. What happens then? Well, if countries, people start to say, hey, these paper dollars aren't aren't worth as much, then people are going to say, these dollars that I'm getting paid aren't doing it for me. And that's when I was like, wait, what am I doing with my cash? Because before I was taking my cash and I was just buying dumb things. I was buying a nice watch mm. and I was putting it in my car. I was driving a Toyota and I was, I was I put in new subs. I put in HID lights. I, I put in <laughs> rims. I put in a subwoofer. I put in a new sound system. I mean, I'm in my car. Was, I used to watch a lot of Pit My Ride, right? <laughs> so, you know, I used to do all this stuff with my car and then I was like, wait, I am blowing my money to buy these things which are liabilities. That's losing me money. 
I never once learned a thing about money. I went through all the schooling. I paid a lot of money for school. Never once did I learn a thing about money management. Never once did I learn a thing about wealth. Never once did I learn a thing about financial freedom. Never once did I learn a thing about investing or passive income. No. But what the heck are we all working for? We're all working to become wealthy, right? Well, people will say, no, but you shouldn't worry about the money. The money doesn't matter. Just do something you love. If the money doesn't matter, then tell your boss not to pay you. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Like, like everyone's working to become successful. You're going to school to get a job so you can do something you love, but also to become successful. Now, you got to go into debt, the you know, student loan debt to get this degree, but student loan debt is the number one liability for young people, right. the biggest asset for the government. Now you're working to make dollars, which we're all saving, thinking that this is how I'm going to become wealthy. But what's happening now? Your savings are being eroded because of inflation. Just look around you, right? The prices of things keep going up. Now you're saving your money thinking that this is how you become wealthy because we're never taught about investing. We're never taught about wealth. We're never taught about passive income. You're saving this money and now your savings are being eroded. So now the average person who keeps following the system blindly is becoming poorer and poorer and poorer just because you trusted the system. Yeah. And this is and, and this is what really started like, man, it makes me angry because it's like, this is what I was taught to believe. This is what I was taught to do. And this is what I was told well, was normal. You also paid a lot of money to, you know, go think that, hey, I'm doing the right thing. I'm going yeah. to college. I'm going to law school. I'm doing all this stuff. And you're checking still, all the boxes. Yeah. And you're still Did not being taught the things that matter. And I think that's like a, a good transition into, you know, the minority mindset and why you started your YouTube channel. Because, you know, a lot of people, to me, it became just like, oh, well, I should invest. Like, I, you know, whatever. Like, I'm just going to do it. But most people, like you said, have this mindset of, dude, I'm going to do what I'm told because yeah. this is what I'm being told is the right way. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to find deals yourself? That's where Fundrise comes in. Fundrise is a crowdfunding platform that has transacted over $5 billion in real estate and has over 150,000 active investors. While many funds, like my own, require accredited investors, Fundrise allows anyone to invest with as little as $500. If you'd like to learn more, check out Fundrise.com. Once again, that's Fundrise.com. Are you looking to find off-market real estate deals? One of the best tools my team uses is Batch Leads. With Batch Leads, you're able to pull data, manage lists, and send text messages. On top of that, you can get nationwide access to the MLS to get pictures and comps. My team has used Batch Leads to get some of our best deals, so I know it works. If you want to start today, you can get half off your first month by going to batchleads.io and using the promo code RYAN. Once again, that's batchleads.io, promo code RYAN for half off your first month. Now, back to the show. Yeah. And, you know, with Minority Mindset, tell people about like how that started yeah, and, and so what it means. The Minority Mindset has nothing to do with your ethnicity, your race, or your skin color. It's the mindset of thinking differently than the majority of people. Now, I started Minority Mindset as a hobby. I was working on a different business, uh, a sock company that I started. And when I was launching the business, I hired this marketing company, which turned out to be a scam. <laughs> so, they, so they took my money and ran. And I got really angry, but I uh, launched the company, did very good, had a great launch. And um, I, I was so angry. I was like, man, I never learned about entrepreneurship. I never learned how to launch a business. I never learned how to do any of this stuff. I never learned how to invest. I was doing this all just from trial and error. And now you got people scamming, people just trying to figure things out. I was I was angry. So then I went out, um, I launched a class called I, the, the topic was how to launch a business without getting screwed over. And I launched it on Udemy, <laughs> and I think I charged like seven bucks. I didn't really care about making money. It was just, just trying to put 
this information out there so people would learn from my mistakes and not get screwed over the way that I did. Right. And I put this up and I did it under the alias minority mindset because it's all about the mindset of thinking differently than the majority of people. Because when I was in college, I was hosting these parties. I realized that I was thinking differently than the majority of people. When I started investing in real estate, I was like, the majority of people were blowing money the way that I was when I first started making money. Uh, and now I was investing money. So that was what the name Minority Mindset started off as. And then I started this class and everyone was like, hey, you should really start an Instagram page. That way we can continue learning more. And I was like, okay. So I started an Instagram page called Minority Mindset, started posting content there. Mm-hmm. And then people started saying, can you create a blog? That way we have deeper, long-form content because you can't post that much on Instagram. No one's going to read an essay on Instagram. You know, it's, it's just too much. And I was like, well, English is my second language. So no, I cannot create a blog because you're not going to understand anything that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. And But I was like, you know, I can start a YouTube channel. So I started a YouTube channel called Minority Mindset, talking about the things that I wish I knew when I was getting started. Talked about entrepreneurship, uh, talked about some money management, financial education stuff. And a few months go by and one of my friends was like, hey, how much money are you making off of YouTube? I was like, what are you talking about? He was like, you know, like your ads, how much money are you making? I'm like, I don't, I don't know. How, how do you do ads? He's <laughs> like, did you not turn on your advertisements? This is before there was any sort of monetization requirement. Right. I was like, no. So then he goes onto my YouTube channel. He's like, dude, you could just turn on ads and start making money for these videos that you're making. I was like, really? I was just doing this for fun. I was like, just doing this as a hobby. So then I started, I turned that on because I was doing other stuff. And, uh, you know, I started off really just talking about entrepreneurship, then really got more into the financial education side of things, investing, money management, and all that. And that started to grow. I think people liked it because I was like, I, I speak, everything that I say, I speak out of passion. Everything I say is from my own experience. It's like from my heart. And people liked it. And now we started to grow. And the saw company that I was working on, we got denied a patent. So I was like, okay, what do I do? Like the saw company is making really good money. I'm doing other things. Um, but Minority Mindset isn't making any money, but I love it. Like, I love the whole idea behind talking about financial education. I love talking about this type of stuff because it gets me riled up. Like, this is so important, and we're never taught this stuff. So I decided to go in with Minority Mindset and do less time here because this is what I loved. Because, you know, I mean, socks are making money, but I'm not really passionate about socks, right? So yeah. it's like uh, I went down the Minority Mindset route, and I just kind of did it and now we're one of the fastest growing financial education and media companies on the internet. And it just started off with me making videos on my iPhone in front of a white wall. Then we grew and you know now we have a whole team. We have our, uh, our blog, we have our newsletter, we have uh, a bunch of other things that we're doing with Minority Minds. We have other sub YouTube channels that we've started. So it all just started with the whole idea of just talking about the things I wish I knew, which is what I still talk about every day on a channel. But that's that's on, kind of all where it all started. Just like the things that upset me, I was talking about it. Right. And, and just educating about it, man. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's why the channel's had so much success because it didn't start for you anyways as like a business thing. You were just like, dude, I want to just help people out. I want to – and for, for also, it's just a way for you to like kind of let your feelings out of like, hey – I think people should know this. Like, I'm passionate about yeah. it. And, you know. Where do you go to learn this stuff? You know, when I was, I, I was 19, when I bought my first investment property, I told my dad. How'd you to, do that, by the way? So, <laughs> let me tell you that. So, I was doing my event planning company. Yeah. And I was making money. And this was at the bottom of the 2008 crash. 
So this is around 2012, um, 2011, 2012. And I was studying for the MCAT, the medical college admission test, the test you take to go to medical school. And every business book that I read said that wealthy people invest in real estate. Now, I didn't really know what that meant because I didn't have any real estate investors in my family. I didn't know anybody that invested in real estate. But I'm studying for the MCAT, and I every day when I have a break, I went out to Yahoo Finance, and like the top articles were always housing prices are at rock bottom, real estate prices are at rock bottom. And so I was like, you know, why don't I start looking at real estate? I had no idea what to expect. I told my dad, Dad, I want to invest in real estate. He was like, Jaspreet, you're stupid. Go become a doctor. <laughs> you know, just focus on your studies. And uh, But I looked at some properties, and I found a condo, 1,000-square-foot condo. Um, needed very little work on sale for $8,400, <laughs> right? And, yeah. and so I was like, okay. So I looked at it, and I was like, oh, okay, this is nice. And to me, I didn't, I didn't know that that was cheap. I thought that was normal because that's all I've seen, right? This is like, I mean, I started looking yeah. at properties. You're in, and for those listening, he's in Michigan, you know, where things are a lot cheaper than California. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but but before, that property was selling for $120,000 to $150,000. Crazy. Just a few years before, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at this property, and before that, I looked at some $30,000 homes. I looked at some $15,000 homes because this is just what I thought was normal. I had no idea. Yeah. I looked at this $8,400 home. I put an offer for $6,000. Or no, I put an offer for $4,000. And then we they came down to $7,000. And I was like, no, I want six. And then they were like, well, now we have another offer. So give us your highest and best. And I was like, dang it. How much do I offer now? So I offered eight grand. <laughs> and they said, yeah. So, I, you know, I was like, I didn't even, like, I, I'm 19 years old. I'm studying for the MCAT. I have no idea what normal is supposed to be. You know, I was just like, yeah. this is cool. Eight grand, whatever. I, I got eight grand in the bank. So I bought it for eight grand. And I put in, I think, four grand worth of work. Um, and so half of that was appliances. Yeah. And then I risk, rented it out for $600 a month. Crazy. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's how it started. But- that was the first kind of like exposure that I had to any sort of investing or, or passive income. And then I did that again and again and again. And it was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm building a portfolio of assets that, you know, now today are worth a whole lot more than when I bought them. But what's that, that uh, condo worth today, you think? Uh, probably close to 75000 I mean, it, it hasn't got back up to where it was, but it's yeah. significantly more. Some of the homes that I bought then. But you've been cash flowing it for a long cash time. Cash flowing it every month. I mean, that, that property rents for eight fifty now. Yeah. Um, and some of the homes that I bought then for like, uh, there's one home that I bought for fifteen thousand. I just actually checked it last week because um, I was I was looking at I was making a report for someone, and that property now value is around two hundred. Wow. Fifteen thousand dollars I bought it for, and it's like holy cap! Like, what? Like I I didn't even know what I was doing. Yeah, you were just like ah. Eh. Yeah, and, and you know it'll rent. I'll make my money back in a couple of years. Yeah, and that was normal at the time. Yeah, and, and so I was very fortunate, and you know I I got lucky that when I started, I was working on my own business, and that you know some people get they say, oh, well, you just got lucky, and I, I'm like, yeah, I did get lucky. Like I got very fortunate, and when I started at the time, right, like there's there's no doubt about that, but there was a lot of people in college that had way more money than I did that weren't doing this. You know what I mean? Like everybody had access to the same books that I did. Everyone had access to the same information that I did. I just wanted to do it because I knew I wanted to do something different. Um, but I, I remember, like, there was these other guys that I know who had very, very rich parents. Their parents had, like, you know, these businesses. And I talked to them about it, and they were like, no, real estate investing is very risky. Look at the market. Oh, okay, well, that's fine. I'm going to go do it anyways. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like it, you have to be willing to take the risk. 
And luck is definitely a part of it, but the harder you work, the luckier you become. I 100% agree. You know, the more you're looking for opportunity, the more they present themselves. And when you look at uh, real estate back then, because that was when I got licensed in 2010. Yeah. And I remember just seeing all these buyers who did not want to purchase these homes. Nobody and did, man. People, no, nobody wanted to buy. Nobody wanted them. And I remember as an agent getting really frustrated because, like you, I didn't know any better. I was a young kid. I was like, I mean, this seems like a pretty good deal to me. Like, <laughs> you know, but I don't know any better, but it looks okay. Yeah. And, you know, even for the, the $8,400 home, it's like, like, what can it go down to? I know, exactly. <laughs> like, like, that was exactly what I Do I think I it's going to be negative? Yeah, I was <laughs> like, well, the, the most I can lose is eight grand plus the four that I put in. So the most I lose is 12 grand. I'll yeah. throw a few more parties and I'll make that back. But it's like, yeah. you know, it's like, like oh, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. And even in Vegas, right, they they weren't that cheap. But I, I did hear stories back in the day of of guys buying houses at the auction for $20,000 yeah. that are now worth three hundred. Yeah, you know, but... The deals I was seeing as a realtor were right there on the MLS. Anyone yeah. could buy them. You know, these $50,000 homes that are now worth three hundred dollars a day. Yeah. And I just remember people were like, nah, nah, like it's going to go down lower. And I'm just like, but how? Like this house was worth two fifty. dollars You're trying to catch a falling knife. Yeah. yeah. And that's, <laughs> oh my God, man. You, you just pull the trigger at some point. If it's a good deal, yeah. buy. So, so what do you think about today with... Where the market's at, everybody's saying it's overheated. We're in mm. a bubble, blah blah blah. And from my perspective, I've been hearing that for years, right? Yep. Like this is not anything new, and prices just keep going up. Inflation keeps going up. Like, what are you seeing? Well, there's there's two issues. You have inflation on one side, and then you have asset classes on the other side. So let's start by talking about kind of where we are on the inflation side, so we can kind of answer the full picture because you need to understand the background. So. The 2020 pandemic hit, you know, we started printing a lot of money. People weren't working. The government was printing money. Um, and what is inflation? Well, inflation comes from the word inflate. Inflate meaning increase. What are you increasing when you have inflation? You're increasing the monetary supply, the money supply. So that is what we saw happen in 2020 and 2021. We saw the largest increase of monetary supply in the history of time. And the reason being was because people weren't working, businesses weren't operating, and the government was printing. Now, when you have this sort of inflation, the monetary supply goes up. What, what is the result of that? Everybody assumes that when you have inflation, prices of things go up. But that's not always the case. That is sometimes a symptom of inflation, but that is not what inflation is. Inflation is the increase of the monetary supply. When you increase the monetary supply, the value of each individual dollar now goes down. You're diluting the value of the dollar. So you remember back, you know, when the toilet paper crisis happened in 2020, there was a shortage of toilet paper. When you had this toilet paper shortage, uh, now all of a sudden, toilet paper became very valuable because there was not that much supply of toilet paper. Right, right. But when you had this abundance of toilet paper, like you're seeing now, well, now people don't really care about toilet paper. It's not worth that much because there's a whole bunch of toilet paper. Our dollars work the same way. When you have a lot of dollars out there, the value of each individual dollar goes down, causing then the price of things to go up. Right Now, sometimes you can also see the price of things go down when you have inflation. So if you have supply chain improvements, uh, technological improvements, these things can cause the price of things to go down, even if you see inflation. But what you have to understand is if you didn't have inflation, the price of these things would have dropped even further because now your currency, your dollars that you're using to buy, would have been even stronger. Yep. So that's what inflation is. Now, inflation is a real concern because, you know, 
if you just if you look back in history, the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire used to be a a civilization that ran on silver, and so when the government paid their employees to do things, they paid them in silver coins. Well, the government wanted to expand. They wanted to expand into infrastructure and do a lot of things. And so what they decided was instead of just mining more silver, producing more silver, which takes a lot of time, they were going to debase it, meaning they were going to mix their silver with other cheaper metals. In the beginning, this caused a boom in the economy. The Roman uh, civilization started booming because now people were able to make more money. They were able to get more money to do these things. But then people started saying, wait, this, this new debased money isn't as valuable as it was before. We want more money. And this went on and on and on, and it was a big reason why the Roman civilization collapsed. You've seen this happen in the Weimar Republic, uh, modern-day Germany. They were printing a whole bunch of money to cover war debts, and they didn't have enough economy to support all this money printing. And so they kept printing, printing, printing. The value of the dollar went down, and ultimately, that civilization collapsed. There were stories where people would go to the, the bakery to get a loaf of bread, and the baker would say, uh, so you'd come in with a wheelbarrow full of cash to buy some bread, and they'd say, leave the wheelbarrow, take the cash back. I don't need the cash. Uh, you know, you saw it happen in Venezuela in the 2017, 2018, the super hyperinflation, they printed so much. So the risk is if you print too much, if you create too much inflation, you, you risk some sort of a dollar crash, hyperinflation. So we've been seeing a whole bunch of money printing. We've been seeing very low interest rates, which also contributes to inflation. So now what does that mean? Is this a real concern? Well, if you look at what happened in 2021, in April of 2021, that's when we started seeing high inflation. They said it was the highest inflation since 2008. That's when people started to get concerned, and that's when the Fed came out and said, don't worry, this inflation is transitory. It'll be gone by the middle part of 2021. Middle part of 2021, inflation started to cool down. The Fed said, I told you so, inflation is already getting better. Then August came, and inflation started picking back up, and then people started to get worried in. September came, inflation started to ramp up even more. Now people are getting more worried. And then October came, and, and that was when crap hit the fan. Inflation hit the highest level in more than three decades. And that's when people really started to get worried. And then in November, the Federal Reserve Bank came out again and said, don't worry, inflation is transitory, it's temporary, <laughs> it's going to go away. Now, this inflation can't just go away because we have this increased monetary supply. There's more dollars out there. How do you fight inflation? You got to do the opposite. You got to contract the money supply. So, you know, I don't like predicting, but I can just look at what happened before. In the 70s, we were in a period of stagflation, high inflation, high unemployment. And during that time, we had a lot of high inflation. And the way they combat that was by raising interest rates. So in the 80s, we saw mortgage rates not at 3% like we have now, but they were at 18.5%. If you went out to get a loan in 1982, you were paying 18.5% on your mortgage. Why? Because I had to contract the money supply because they were worried about a dollar crash. So right now we have the Fed that's still saying that uh, inflation is transitory, is temporary, and they don't want to raise interest rates because of that. Because if they raise interest rates, what's going to happen? People are not going to buy homes. Right. It's going to become more expensive. Uh, builders are going to build less homes. And businesses are going to borrow less money. So if these businesses and people borrow less money, the economy slows down, which could cause the stock market to go down, which could cause the real estate market to go down. So they're very hesitant to raise interest rates because of that. So is inflation just going to mass suddenly go away? Probably not. The supply chain issues will get better. You'll start to see some price of products. They might go down. But that also depends on if companies want to bring the price of their products down. Because if the price of their products are higher and people are paying these higher prices, why would they reduce the price of their products? 
right? If, if I sell water bottles and I'm selling them for $2 a piece, right. and my cost goes down 25%, but people are still paying $2, I have no incentive to bring it down unless there's a reason for me to bring it down. Right, right. So, you know, you have the cost of things growing very fast. You have home prices growing. You have rents growing, but wages are not keeping up. And so this is the environment that we're in right now. So is inflation going to go away? Probably not. But if it doesn't slow down, now we have a potential dollar crisis. Right. If we see a dollar crisis, what does that mean? This is something that most people are not familiar with because we haven't seen that happen in our time. A dollar crisis would mean that now the value of a dollar goes down and you could see a crash in the markets, but it wouldn't be a crash like you would expect. Typically, when you hear of a stock market crash, you think prices of stocks go down. And if I have cash, I can buy stocks at a discount. But a dollar crash is the opposite. The value of your dollar goes down, stock prices go up relative to the value of your dollar because your money cannot buy as many assets. So your dollar value has gone down, which means the stocks are more expensive, real estate is more expensive. So that's a big concern, where if we see some sort of dollar crisis, now what's going to suffer is the average person yep. because now you're working hard to earn money, you're working hard to save money, and your savings will not be able to buy you assets. They won't be able to buy you products like they did before. The second side of things is, are we going to see a stock market crash or a real estate crash? We don't have the same real estate factors we did before the 2008 crash. You know, before the 2008 crash, you had a lot of subprime loans. You had a lot of ninja loans, no income, no job, no asset loans. You had a lot of risky loans, a lot of risky bad things going on, which you're not seeing the same kind of presence of that today. We're starting to see adjustable rate mortgages come back, but I mean- we're not seeing ninja loans. We're not seeing the subprime yeah. loans. So you and I'll tell you what the arm loans that he's talking about. I've got a few of them myself, but they're for, you know, people, you've got to qualify pretty good for them. You know, they're not like the ninja loans where anybody can go get them. It's not like it was in 2008. No. no, no. It's nowhere near where it was in the housing market. Um, so, like, the re if you look at the real estate market in a bubble, it's not what it was before 2008. The bigger issue is what's going on with the economy. Yeah. If the economy cannot sustainably grow because right now the way we're growing the economy is through cheap interest rates and money printing stimulus. If the economy cannot grow by itself, well, that's a concern, right? Because if if you start to hit really high inflation, then you can't keep printing. You can't keep doing the stimulus. If you can't do that and the economy can't grow, then you would see a contraction in the economy. If you see a contraction in the economy, what does that mean? Now people get laid off. If people get laid off, what does that mean? Well, now people don't have money. They don't have money to pay the mortgage. So it's like, it's a different issue today. It's not the real estate bubble like we saw before 2008. It's more of an uh, economic concern. If our economy picks back up, no problem. Hey, you know, things are going to keep going up. Obviously, real estate prices have gone up significantly in the last year. I mean, I think 20% or so home prices if you want to buy a home, which is a lot higher than wages. Yep. And we're going to probably see interest rates go up sometime in the next couple of years, which, you know... It, would it be surprising if real estate price is correct? No, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but these are the things you have to pay attention to. Like there, there are real issues in the economy. There's real issues with inflation. I think that's a bigger issue than what's going on directly in the real estate market or directly in, you know, in a stock market. Like you have to look at the bigger picture. What's going on with the economy? Because that that can trickle down to anything else. Yeah. No, I'm 100 percent with you. You know, I actually. By the time this this podcast airs, it'll be kind of an older video. But yesterday, I did a video on hyperinflation and how I plan to combat it. And essentially, what I said was, inflation's great for me. You know, I'm buying real estate every single every week. I buy more real estate. You know, every 
week, we're investing in new things. We're doing, you know, my companies, whatever, like things that make money. And I've been a huge recipient of all the money printing, you know, as a byproduct of people wanting to buy my products, my flips, whatever. Like by the time I flip a house, it's gone up so much that I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I cannot believe this. This is great. But at the same time, like you said, it's helping the guys like me, but it is not helping the normal person. Yeah. And and what is inflation? It's a tax. It's a hidden tax. And the person who pays the tax is the person who doesn't understand what inflation is. It's the financially uneducated. Because see, the government wants to spend money. They're always going to want to. That's why you have this national debt crisis. You have a national deficit because the government spends money they don't have. The government is not a for-profit entity, right? Your business makes money. You, You do something, you make money, you make a profit, you can do more of it. Right. But the government doesn't work like that. The government makes money when you work hard, <laughs> right? And then you pay taxes to the government. Now, if you have a business, then there are ways for you to legally avoid paying some taxes. But yep. if you're working hard, you're paying taxes. That's how the government gets paid. So if the government raises taxes on rich people, they raise your taxes, they know now you know how they're getting their money because now Ryan is paying the government's taxes. Yeah. But they will never be able to raise taxes enough to cover their spending. So what do they do then? Well, if they can't raise enough money through taxes, they do something a little bit disingenuous, a little dishonest. They print it. They say, okay, we can't raise the money through taxes. We're not going to cut down our spending because why in the world would you cut down your spending? Instead, they increase the printing. Now, they increase the printing. What happens? Inflation. Now, who gets benefited? Ryan gets benefited. The wealthy gets benefited. Right? Financially educated people get benefited. Who pays the price? The people who don't own assets, right. the people who don't understand, yeah, financially the, uneducated. Like you said, their wage hasn't gone up. They're still making whatever. Say they're making their fifty grand a year, yep. but they still don't own a house. And now, you know, they were saving up their down payments, yeah. you know, for the last couple of years, and all of a sudden, they can't afford it. They they're just they're like chasing this rabbit to save that's just not keeping up fast enough with you know the rabbit if it's inflation. And that's yeah, why I tell horrible. people too. You know, people are like, oh, man, Dave Ramsey says I should save up 20% on my down payment. I'm like, dude, just buy an F- get an FHA loan, put 3.5% down, get a conventional loan, put 3% down, whatever. Like, buy a house today versus trying to save this big down payment. You know, inflation is a real concern. It, yeah. it's a re- it, you know, you talked about how do you pr- protect yourself against inflation. You know, you can invest your money. Uh, the, the concern people have with investing is what happens if a crash happens and you lose half of your you know, investment. But the alternative is also you can you can protect your money against inflation. I mean, there's inflationary hedges, uh, which which are different than an asset, right? You, you invest in real estate for growth. The economy grows, your real estate will grow. But an inflationary hedge, you, you have things like physical gold. I own physical gold because it's I look at it like real money. It takes time, effort, and labor to mine gold. Right. Now, this gold that I have, it's not getting, giving me a return like my real estate is. My real estate's paying me with cash flow. My gold is just sitting there. It's not doing anything. Yeah. But if you see more inflation, what happens? Well, now people move their money to gold. Gold prices go up. And now I can liquidate my gold and buy more real estate or I can buy more stocks or I can buy whatever it is that I want to buy, buy right. more businesses. But it's an inflationary hedge. What do you think about Bitcoin? I buy Bitcoin. Yeah. I buy Bitcoin and I also own some stable coins which are paying me interest. Yep. So uh, are you familiar with stable coins? Yeah. So I moved, I don't have as much money in the bank as I used to. I moved a big chunk of my cash out of the bank in into the stable, stable coins that are now paying me 8% or 9% a year. These are This is the cash that's waiting to be invested. Yeah. Uh, I buy Bitcoin. I have a dollar cost average system for some cryptocurrencies, including Bitcoin. I buy it every single day. 
Look, I believe in Bitcoin. Um, I think cryptocurrency is the future. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to go straight up. Could we see a 2001 style dot com crash in crypto? Sure. We saw it happen in the dot com market in 2001, but the internet didn't go away. Yeah. The internet's thriving. Yeah. You know, it, it's a way to get rid of the crap because there's a lot of crap coins. Yeah. There's a lot of crap in the cryptocurrency space. And so, you know, would I be surprised if we see a crash? No, but uh, I, I am buying it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, man. As I've evaluated crypto and other things, I, I'm with you. I believe that crypto is a great alternative to inflation and you're seeing it. I mean, it is going up significantly, you know, pretty much all coins for the yeah. most part. And like you said, I think something will happen with all these coins where, <laughs> you know, majority of them go to zero. Yeah. And uh, some of them will definitely go to zero. Yep. Then the strong ones survive and you know, it is what it is. You, uh, have you looked into NFTs at all? What are you thinking? Look, I don't, I don't really invest in art itself. Yeah. Why would I buy digital art? I don't buy NFTs, but what I do is I do own Ethereum. A lot of NFTs are built off of Ethereum. Right. So when I buy Ethereum, it's an investment in NFTs. I would invest in it, but I wouldn't buy it myself. You know what I mean? Like, like it, I want to use my money in the most productive way possible. Right. So I understand, hey, art, art, people believe in art. I'd rather invest in the asset behind art, like Ethereum, rather than owning the art itself. Mm-hmm. So that's the way I do. I want to own the assets. I don't want to buy the art. Yeah. So what would you say somebody who's listening to this podcast that's, you know, they're not the wealthy person. They're somebody who's, you know, been saving up and trying to get a side hustle, whatever, and make some money. And, you know, they're seeing this inflation happen right before yeah. us. And, you know, they're like, man, like, what do I do? I don't have any money. Yeah. The first thing you got to do is get financially educated. You got to know what the options are. You know, we talk about, you got to know what is inflation, what is money, what are the different ways that you can invest. And you got to actually do. And this is the hard part, but it's also the most important part because if you don't have much money, you got, <laughs> there's, you, there's more reason for you to do. You got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. And so you have to be willing to take more risks, whether it's starting a business or whether it's investing. Now, when you start a business, you're going to learn pretty quickly if you have it in you to start a business or not. Because it's not easy. <laughs> not everyone's to meant to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone is, man. And, and you're going to learn pretty quickly. It doesn't take 10 years for you to learn if you're going to be a, an entrepreneur or not, if it's meant for you. Right. And if it's not meant for you, then don't build a business, invest, whether it's stocks, whether it's startups, whether yeah. it's real estate, whether it's, it doesn't or matter. Or help somebody else build a business. Let, yeah. You know, work for somebody who you, you know, know is a good entrepreneur and you can ride them on the way up. That's exactly. what I tell a lot of my employees. I'm like, guys, you know, uh, people always ask me like, dude, are you afraid people are just going to quit and steal your ideas and whatever? And I'm like, guys, my employees, like for one, they're just riding the train, dude. Yeah. They, they love it. Yeah. Because there's always opportunities to grow. 100%, man. And even in our office, like it's the same thing. It's our team. They we get they get revenue share. Yeah, the more better they do, the more they earn. Yep. You know, you got, you, everyone has their base salary and all that, but you know they see the upside as well. That way, you know, come on with the train, come on for the ride. Yeah. Work, work with me, build with me. It's not of build for me, yep. build with me. Well, one thing you talked about too was taking risk. You know, taking risk to invest or start a business. I I truly believe that starting a business is the best thing people can do. Whether it's like a legit big business or whether it's a side hustle, right? Yeah. Like, nothing's going to give you a better return than a business. You know, mm-hmm. you could go put a thousand bucks in some stock or even yeah, you know, yeah. Dogecoin, whatever. But <laughs> even if you killed it and you made a hundred, Doggy coin. Yeah, you only made a thousand bucks, but. 
you put a thousand bucks in a business, that thing can make you a lot of money. Yeah. And so I think people, especially those who don't have a lot, they're more fearful. And they're like, oh, well, I don't have anything. So if I lose what I barely have, then I'm going to lose. Whereas you and I are looking at it like, dude, you're broke. Like, what's it matter? You have nothing to lose. And I tell people this all the time, especially when they're young. I'm like, hey, you're young. Even if you fail... Who cares? You got time on your side. Yeah. You got time and you got the money. Money will come back, man. If you especially if you're in your twenties. Yeah. You're you're gonna recover. It's not a big deal. It really is not. It's just just go out and do it. You gotta be willing to work. You have to be willing to try. You have to be willing to work. You have to be willing to fail. If you are lazy, you're not willing to put in the work, you're automatically gonna fail. And you know, like this is whole movement in the world of everything's gotta be in balance. Yeah. I need to have enough time to do all this other stuff in my life. That's all bull crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you want to yeah. succeed, you better be willing to put in the work. Right. I was working 20 hours a day. Right. Like, literally, like, you know, people don't get it. What is 20 hours a day, seven days a week? That means I was sleeping four hours a day on a good day. Mm. I was going to school full-time, running my business full-time. Right. Like, I'll put this in perspective. When I wasn't doing my event planning stuff, I was young, man. Like, I was... I was in more school all day, and then I'd be planning events all evening. And now Fridays, uh, a club party starts at 10, which means I got to be at the venue by 8 p.m. Right. So I was in school. I was planning, getting ready. 8 o'clock, I'm at the venue. Party goes from 10, a- 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Now, 2 a.m., I don't get to just leave. I got to make sure everybody gets paid. I got to make sure there's no fights because I, I become a bouncer at 2 a.m. too to right. make sure you know right. nothing happens. So now I get to leave the venue at 3, 3.30 me and the DJs go out to eat. Yeah. I'm home at 4, 4.30 a.m. Now, Saturdays, what happens? People get married. I'm working in the wedding business. And Indian weddings last all day. <laughs> so I get home at 4.30 a.m. And I got to be at the venue by 8 a.m. to start right. setting up. Right. So now I'm working at the wedding from 8 a.m. until midnight Saturday. Now I tear down. And then I go home. Now it's, uh, you know, 1, 2 a.m. Sunday morning. I get home, get some rest. And start it up all over again. You got to be willing to put in that work. Now, yeah. I get a lot more sleep now. I got a lot more balance now in my life. Yeah. I can do a lot more things. But you got to be willing to hustle. And I was going to say that, you know, because I, I am one of these guys who preaches having balance. But what I'll say is, for most entrepreneurs, it's something that they never learn because they start off doing the hustle. Yeah. I mean, like 99% of entrepreneurs are doing what you just said who are successful. They are working the long hours and granted, you were in college, you're young, you didn't yeah, have a wife, you didn't 100%. have anything going on. I, I was able to then because I was young. You're able to do that. And that's what I'm saying with the young people today is like, dude, you know, like you're saying, put in the work, take risk, do what you got to do. But as you grow older, you have to learn to be able to have the balance. 100%. You know, man. you can't just <laughs> keep those habits. I, I was imbalanced so I can have more balance now. Right. But I had to go through that imbalance. And you have to be willing to put in that work. You got to be willing to make some sacrifices, man. Like, yeah, you're not going to go party. You're going to go run the party. Yeah, exactly. You got to be willing to do these things. And if it's like financially, you know, I, I made a, a decision that I wasn't going to go on vacations unless I'm getting paid to go on vacations mm. because I was working in the wedding business. And I'm starting. I'm just trying to stack cash at this point so I can buy more real estate. I can buy more assets. You know what's funny is uh, <laughs> getting paid to go on vacation stuff. Today, there's so many ways to make money that didn't exist back then. Oh, my like, God. I, you know, as a YouTuber you can easily get paid to go vacation, right? Like there's like a million <laughs> yeah. ways to go yeah. about it. There's a million ways to make it a business trip and yeah. write it off, yeah. right? I'm I, here in Vegas. This is a business expense. This is a business expense. We're working right yeah, we're now. We're working. You know? 
Um, but it was funny because I started taking up golf as a hobby. And uh, I was like, dude. Man, golf is boring. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, no, go I ahead. Love I love it. So I was, uh, you know, playing, you know, for a couple of months. And I remember just thinking, man, you know, I'm paying all this money to go play. I'm, I'm inviting my friends. We're having a good time. But I wonder if I can make this like a business. Yeah. And so I just put it out to my following and said, hey, if you want to golf with me, here's the price. Nice. And, uh, you know, here's the link to sign up. I am booked out the next three months. No way. Of golf. Wow. So it, it just goes to show, like, with creativity, you can make a business out of anything. anything. I make more than a lot of pro golfers. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm dead serious. And so, like, I'm like... Just golfing. Just golfing. I'm like, yeah. this is so dumb that, like, this is a thing. Yeah. But... There's a demand for it. Exactly. Supply and man. demand. Exactly. And it was, it was the same mm. thing when I was doing the event planning. You know, if we were booked to go do a gig in uh, Cancun, hey, guess what? I'm not paying to go to Cancun. They're paying me to go out there. Yeah, right? now you get to go so have fun. So someone's getting married over there. So I mean, there's a lot of opportunities. But, you know, it's again, it's you got to put in that sacrifice in the beginning. You got to put in the hustle in the beginning. And then the opportunities get bigger and bigger. Yeah. And it's it, they, they they just show up. If you continue to keep working hard, you continue to keep looking for them. Yeah. And it's crazy how many opportunities there are. It's crazy, dude. Well, dude, I I just appreciate hearing your story, man. It's been super inspiring to just see how far you've come. And, thank you, you know, thank your you, passion you. beyond, you know, just helping people and showing them, like, dude, this is what's going on in the world. Like, you got to do something about people it. You got to know. And you got to know. 100%. And, Dude, so, dude, I just appreciate having you on the show. We're going to link to your YouTube channel, everything else you got going on down below. And, uh, guys, make sure you go follow Jasper. Make sure you guys get financially educated. And uh, if you like this episode, make sure you hit that five-star review. We'll catch you on the next one. Thank you, Ryan. Peace. Thanks for watching The Ryan Pineda Show. If you want to work with me, head over to ryanpineda.com. You can find my courses, coaching programs, and upcoming events. We also have free resources you can download, so head over to ryanpineda.com.